The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. And thanks for joining us for a bonus edition of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Although now it looks like we may be heading out into the great beyond, into that final frontier. Yes, because as we mentioned to you on the main episode 43, we decided that there was a special conversation to be had about Star Trek and comics. And it occurred to me, who better to talk to about that than the hosts of the new podcast, Trekology. Jeff and Greg. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey. Hey, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, it is my pleasure. Now, this is kind of a fun thing. On your first episode, as you guys are kind of getting to know each other on your show and sharing your Trek histories, Jeff made mention that he has friends that still tease him about a particular (laughs) exclamation while one of the friends was incorrectly playing a Star Trek video game on a computer. You invaded Klingon airspace! He is that friend. That is me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a moment I'll never forget. Just real quick, tell the folks at home, what is Trekology all about? Well, it's all about Star Trek. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. Good start. Yeah, both Greg and I have a love of things Star Trek, but even more so just the conversations, I think, that come out of Star Trek. So we're kind of using it as a as a way to introduce conversations, whether it's talking about women's roles on Star Trek and beyond, whether it's talking about things like time travel, as well as just talking about who our favorite captains are and things like that. Yeah, and I, I want to say, like, for people who are like, well, there's like a million Star Trek podcasts out there. Why would I listen to this one? This is the the family-friendly Star Trek podcast to the point of, I feel like if you guys had a tagline, it would be, nice guys talking Trek, because <laughs> you guys are just so nice. And it's, it's a very interesting conversation because you guys have just recently become acquainted and friends so you're getting to know each other better as the show goes on and i find that fascinating as i listen into each episode but one of the topics that you haven't covered just yet maybe it's down the line maybe this is your moment comic books and star trek because there's so many stories that have already been told and adapted to the big and small screen and then there's this written and illustrated page which goes all the way back to the 60s star trek was in comics almost immediately and that has just carried on through the decades so i'm curious for you guys you know you became star trek fans you know late 80s early 90s so talk to me about your recollection or your experience in reading any star trek comics so i can remember during one of the free comic book days getting a star trek comic Now, I had read a couple of the books, but I hadn't read any of the comic books yet. Now, this comic book that I read, it was was a preview of, I believe, a new series coming out. And all I can remember is it had Worf in it, and he was getting into some kind of trouble on some alien planet. (laughs) And... (laughs) As he does. As he does. I thought it was a really odd way 
for the character to act. But I don't have a lot of experience reading them religiously as I did the books and watching the show. But I've always been fascinated by the way that comic books can take a franchise into new directions. I think of Star Trek the Animated Series that went off of the original series and that they were able to do things in that show that they weren't able to do in the live action show just because it's animated instead of, you know, live action. So I think that comic books were able to take that even to the next level Mm -hmm. that they were able to do things that they couldn't even do in an animated show, which is always fascinating being able to see the way that without any limits, a creative staff can take a, a franchise. Yeah, and along the, and I mean the uh, yeah, like the comics are obviously different than the animated series though. That same sort of a tie-in, I think of the expanded universe, the expanded adventures. Because I know for me, like I never ha- I still haven't seen the animated show, but I've read all of the stories and it does feel like cuz we only got 3 seasons of that original series, but we get more stories written by the same people. So that That's part of the appeal. I think, like you said, Greg, with the comics, the other one for me is because I had really three groups of comics. I had a number of next generation comics that, yeah, were around Worf on a foreign planet doing things. (laughs) And then I did have some original series, which were actually pretty similar. They were about Kirk with some Klingons on a foreign planet doing things uh and then i did have a compilation that was the best of star trek like comics and that one really resonated with me because one of the stories was about going back to uh the the planet of the menagerie of the cage but this time kirk goes and is captured by the control minds and make you visualize things and things like that and then there was another one that was about Scotty after Star Trek 2 going back to apologize to his sister whose son got killed in Star Trek 2. And both of those stories so illuminated because you lose because of the cuts, you lose a lot of that richness i think in some of those stories especially in the movies so for me having these comics which are probably not canon are probably not you know gospel that we would take to the bank but they do i don't know just add so much color i think to the the stories we already have yeah it's really interesting i think too jeff because i know that you were a reader of x-men comics and so it's interesting to look at how those two worlds collided greg you were talking about the novels there were x-men meets Star Trek novels, uh, which I mean, it right. just at a certain point, I mean, it just got kind of crazy. <laughs> Didn't the X Men meet everybody? Yeah, eventually. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're they're a hot property. What are you gonna do? But so this is interesting, though. I only ever owned one Star Trek comic. I don't know why I grabbed it. It was just a back issue thing in the early '90s. I remember grabbing it. It was basically just like the Star Trek movie universe, because I remember Kirk was like Admiral Kirk. See, he had kind of the mm. the Star Trek II uniform, and he was grappling with somebody on the cover. 
And I just remember reading through the comic and be like, well, these artists really do a great job of creating the likeness of these characters. It looks yeah. like them. But the writer of those comics for DC Comics at that time, Peter David, he mentioned in an early issue of Wizard that we've covered on our show, all of the problems he had dealing with the Roddenberry estate while Gene was still alive and to the point where they just they wouldn't let him do hardly anything in the stories he just had to kind of keep it so basic and repeat himself over and over again any kind of additional characters no you cannot create new characters any changes you know to the status quo of how a character behaves absolutely not you know like just all these things were so in line and he started like submitting things under false names and then they would approve it because they started just having a thing against his writing (laughs) they're like this guy he doesn't understand star trek blah 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 so it's interesting you know we talk about that creative freedom they might have but it's kind of a struggle uh for some of the creators especially when a series is ongoing so this article here in wizard magazine number 43 is called spanning the generations and it is an interview with the various writers and artists who were working on the star trek comic books because both dc comics and malibu comics had the license to create and publish star trek comics but for different series and i thought it was really interesting because there was a woman named margaret clark who was writing the next generation comic and she was talking about how difficult it had been to get any stories and she says here quote when i first took over the next generation books i found my hands tied by having a good story idea that we couldn't use because the series might want to use it at some point Uh now with the release of generations and the fact that the series won't be around to use 25 story ideas a year we don't have that much in the way of restrictions the end of the series is more than a little liberating so they're just kind of like biding their time they're like okay when the series ends then we can continue the adventures then we Uh can be creative you know to your knowledge has there ever been any crossover from other mediums like people who wrote novels ended up writing episodes or anything like that well i know star trek actually had a pretty i guess liberal open submission policy whereas a lot of franchises had just a blanket no open submissions whereas star trek would and there's a a number of writers that came to star trek having submitted a story and and not only that but it's also interesting reading about how someone submits a story and they're kind of like well that doesn't really fit and they play around with it for two three four seasons until it finally oh okay now this fits let's change some characters here we go well that's interesting because as much as you know paramount is who they actually talk about a lot of this article like putting their stamp on things or allowing you know whatever the freedom is and one particular writer says, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I have a pretty good idea of what Paramount likes and what they don't like. But the other people that have a lot of involvement, apparently, in how these comic books come out and how the characters are portrayed are the 
actors. Okay, and so this article actually opens by saying, the editors, writers, and artists playing with Gene Roddenberry's toys expect the calls. After all, it is Star Trek, and it is a licensed product, but the calls to DC Comics and Malibu Comics offices concerning the Star Trek books often go into the realm of the downright hilarious. They even include calls from some of the Star Trek The Next Generation actors themselves. Quote, Patrick Stewart is particular about the length of his hair, relates Star Trek novelist <laughs> and comic book writer Michael Jan Friedman. Marita Sirtis used to get real upset because she felt the artists were making her look like a 50-year-old woman, reports Gordon Purcell, penciler of various Star Trek titles. She's much happier these days. So I'm curious, based on your knowledge of the Star Trek The Next Generation actors, are they very involved beyond just appearing on the series? Like, did any of them go on to become, like, producers on the show themselves? The history of, uh, let's say, starship captains who are concerned about their uh, perception (laughs) outside of the show. I mean, William Shatner is notorious for being very particular about how he's seen, how he's depicted, you know, and what sort of situations he's he's put in in various comic books, novels, all these things. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of these actors get very involved into the character that they're depicting on the show. It's natural that they want to control as much of their extension as they can. Yeah, well, it's funny you cite Shatner, Greg, because of all the people referenced that are involved in the show that give their input to the comics, this is what they said. Star Trek actor and Star Trek comics do mix, and depending on whom you talk to, they all have an opinion. William Shatner, ever the cautious politically correct guy claims to have never seen the comics quote but i would say that if paramount has given these people the license they must be confident in their quality so <laughs> i just thought that was so hilarious he's like he's the one who doesn't even bother with the comics even though he had his own marvel comic series based on his tech war novels so i just find that so funny he doesn't even look at the comics well i actually there was a, a video that you gave me adam that was when shatner went and interviewed a bunch of other Star Trek captains. He yeah, interviewed. the captains. Yes. Exactly. Patrick Stewart and, and Avery Brooks and on and on. And the one clip, and he actually showed this when I saw him in concert. I don't know what you call the one night with William Shatner that I went <laughs> to go see. But at one point in his interview with Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart says, I realize at some point that people are going to see me as Captain Picard forever. And at some point, I'm okay with that. And then William Shatner responds by going, you know what? I guess I am too. And I was just like, you liar. Like, <laughs> no way. Like, William Shatner, I feel like, has refused to be defined by only being Captain Kirk. Whereas so many other Star Trek actors, this is the, I don't want to say pinnacle of their career necessarily, but they, everywhere they go, they will be typecast from now on. Every time you see so many of these characters, this is the only character you can think of in multiple different shows. So I do wonder if it it really matters how their character is portrayed because this is going to be their livelihood like maybe they know that going in well and speaking of you know classic trek and people who very clearly this was their one shot and this is what they make their living off of they it says here in the article in regards to classic trek actors purcell notes that a recent call from walter koenig went beyond the normal questions of appearances quote it was before the generations movie came out and he knew dc was doing the adaptation of the movie so he called to find out how much of his part was still in the comic book 
Apparently, Koenig wanted to know how much of his part was still in the film, and since he couldn't get any answers from Paramount, he figured that since DC was doing an adaptation of the movie, everything that was in the comic book would have to have been taken straight from the film. <laughs> Poor Walter Koenig. Can't get a, a return call from Paramount. Who's that guy? Chekhov? Ah. <laughs> He's barely in the movie. Don't worry about it. But yeah, I, I just found that so funny, because Walter Koenig is, you know, famously known for, like, he'll appear in the fan films. I mean, he's he's available. Let's put it that way, Walter <laughs> Koenig. So, the other side of this also comes with the artists and the writers who have to interpret the characters, right? So, what are they going through? What is their experience? And so, uh, there were some things here that really stood out to me. There's a guy named Rob Davis who was going to be penciling the Voyager books. He said he had also worked on the Deep Space Nine and Next Generation, so he'd kind of done all of the different series at one point or another. And so he said, it's been nice to draw the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine people because they are younger and you don't have to cheat on their bodies, he chuckles. You can't really lie and say Uhura doesn't have a bit of a weight problem. Sulu and McCoy are the only characters whose bodies have remained consistent all the way through. I've always drawn Spock like he looked in the second movie. At that point, he was still thin, but not yet saggy. In the next generation, we don't draw Riker from the first or seventh season. He's drawn from the second season, when he's still pretty thin and he's got a beard. You walk a fine line sometimes. <laughs> It must have been difficult for some of these artists, right? Like, he's kind of, you know, being a little blunt there on some of them, but at the same time, he's like, I have to deal with this. You know, like, I have to look and say, what's the most flattering version that we're going to portray? I wonder, you know, we're just talking about the actor's response to a lot of these characters. I wonder how much, you know, was Jonathan Frakes coming in and saying, eh, see if you could take off a couple of pounds, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting to think the perspective that they have to have because it's just like yeah like people even the audience remember you a certain way like you guys were saying not just the role but almost like this is my era of Riker or this is my era right. of you know Spock or whatever like that's the one that's burned in my brain not you know the current modern day when he appears you know in a J.J. Abrams film you know whatever it is because the challenge with that and even having read the the various comic books and, and like you were talking about with the challenge of what they could and could couldn't write is that it depends on what part of the story they're writing. So if you are writing Riker in year two, like pre-beard, I guess that's year one. If you're pre-beard Riker, well, there's only so many stories you can tell because you have to be true to what you know is going to happen and not contradict anything that like comes later or anything like that. So it does, it does paint you somewhat into a corner of like, yes, you could tell stories of afterwards. Like this is what what happened after the television series was over but then you know that's not what fans want to see they want to see the further adventures of the characters that we know true right and i think it's interesting because even the artists you know they have a preference for who they get to draw or i guess who makes their job easier so this davis guy goes on to say jordy is simple because those glasses cut off a lot of the potential problem areas to draw classic trek scotty is also easy he's just a heavy guy with a mustache deep space 
Snide's Dax is easy because she's so traditionally beautiful. The problems come with the characters who are not traditional in their appearance. Next Generation's Dr. Crusher with her bony face and older look is unusually attractive. I don't know what that statement means. <laughs> that is a really weird description. Then he also says Dr. Bashir is also tough because he's not traditionally handsome. Well, he's a pretty handsome guy. So maybe the emphasis is traditionally. He's not yeah. traditionally handsome. I don't know. There you <laughs> are. The, I mean, just these quotes are just like, can you imagine the actors reading this article? And they're like, right? what? This guy's drawing me? Get him off the book. We want this guy out of there. I'm unusually attractive with my bony face. Oh, I don't think Gates McFadden would like to read that. Now, the other part here that I thought was interesting is you guys recently just did an episode about guest stars, and she also came up on the women in Star Trek here. So in this little sidebar called Star Power, it says, Whoopi Goldberg has asked for copies of the books and checks out all the artwork in which she appears. Ditto Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes. Gates McFadden, Maria Sirtis, and LeVar Burton get to look at any pages in which they appear by themselves. George Takei feels the comics have treated Sulu real well. I'm absolutely delighted that they've made me a captain in the comics, and I hope they keep me there for at least another ten years. He says in classic Sulu tones, giving orders from the center seat is much preferred to sitting at the helmsman's console. (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect. (laughs) <laughs> I did see George Takei uh, read a Lord of the Rings uh, at a, in a stage production once when I was in elementary school. So I've always kept that in my heart. Um, <laughs> but Armin Shimmerman, who plays the alien hustler Quark on Deep Space Nine, believes Star Trek comics are legit. The comics are a great adjunct to the series. They do stories that can't be done on the series. The comics give people a different look at the characters from a different point of view. Anything that promotes Gene Roddenberry's vision and themes is a good thing. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there are some Star Trek actors that have been involved in writing comics. I know Walter Koenig was one of them, and also John Delancey, who played Q, got involved yeah. on at least one story that I know of. But also, Shiver- it says Shiverman, who says he is working with some writer friends to create some story ideas for Deep Space Nine comics at Malibu, is somewhat at odds with the way Quark comes across on the paneled page. I feel the comic book take on Quark is not necessarily the vision of the character that I have, but I have no problem with their take. It's just another person's interpretation. I'm enough of a classically trained actor to know that you can play Hamlet different ways, and that it can still be Hamlet. (laughs) How about that? The consummate actor, Armin Shiverman. I love comparing Quark to Hamlet. Yeah. Right. Well, I know because that's always that thing. And we talked about this actually in previous episodes of our podcast is Armin Shimmerman always takes his role very seriously is even the one there was an episode where Quark has to change genders to try and hustle somebody. And he researched his role by studying some like it hot and Tootsie to see the different ways that Dustin Hoffman and Tony Curtis played men pretending to be women. So yeah, so it definitely makes sense yeah. that he would see the the value or lack thereof. Yeah, now the one other thing that I thought was interesting just for Star Trek history, at the time of this article, Malibu Comics had the rights to create a Star Trek Voyager comic. 
because that was about to launch. But they had a bunch of problems because, well, first they mentioned here, you know, the last minute casting change from Genevieve Bujold to Kate Mulgrew as Captain Catherine Janeway have caused fits and starts to the new television series, bumps of the road that have consequently slowed Malibu's buggy. <laughs> so basically they wanted to adapt all these things, but it keeps changing over on the production side, so they don't know what they're allowed to publish, what they're not allowed to publish. So I just thought that was interesting when they're talking about, you know, Voyager is this new property that nobody really knows about just yet. And so they're just kind of, they have to bide their time until everything's official. But I'm curious, just as we kind of close out here for you guys, what is your favorite version of Star Trek Expanded Universe? I talked about the animated series, which I I really liked. I know a lot of it is, uh, you know, fuzzy on its canon, canonicity, canonicity. <laughs> but I was also a fan of the novels when I was younger and just being able to take it in another direction, able to do things that, that the show wasn't able to do and to tell bigger stories with it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that would probably be mine as well. Again, I consider the animated series to be the the continuing adventures it just seems like star trek i don't know i mean again like it's apparently of questionable canon but it's it feels like canon to me the other one that we started off the show by joking about the video games in fact two of the video games that i have played the 25th anniversary and the final unity that actually use the voices of the characters that was wonderful because it really made me feel like i was was in an episode or in a movie or something like that. But for me, it, it's got to be some of the novels, especially my favorite, maybe my favorite book, period, of all time is, is it by Peter David? Is that who you were talking about, Adam? Yeah, mm-hmm. he yeah. wrote a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, Peter David wrote a book called Imzadi, which is about Riker and Troy's relationship beyond the show and backstory yeah. and post story. I, I tell everyone if they are getting into Star Trek, read this book first because it's beautiful. And I, I wish it was true. I wish it was canon. And so final question here for you then. If you guys could be writing a Star Trek comic book story about one of the minor characters or a character you feel has not been explored as fully as they could be, who would your choice be? to star in a Star Trek comic book story. I would love to see a comic book story about uh, Dr. Phlox from Enterprise. Um, Just maybe like a medical mystery kind of thing. But just taking him apart from the show and seeing him in a different situation, I would love that. How about you, Jeff? You got an idea there? Mm, I mean, my first one would be Garrick, but Garrick is virtually a main cast. Like, And people would say he's had way more exploration in the actual show, but he's always one of my favorites of as far as non-main main cast. Is he cast. from Deep Space Nine? He's a Deep Space Nine. I mean, I guess uh, i'm a deep space nine guy so i guess i might be interested in seeing the afterscape of what it would look like with rom as the grand nagus of the ferengi people that would be very interesting i mean again is he a central character is he a, is he a minor character i don't know but rom he is like the goofy sidekick right brother yes and no he starts off as an idiot and then he's a genius and it's somewhere <laughs> in between 
And then eventually at the very end, he becomes the Grand Nagus and he's like the ruler of the Ferengi people. So that uh, okay. would be very interesting. Apparently, I only saw the idiot ears. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for joining me for this uh, this exploration. Because, yeah, this is a world that I can only appreciate on the surface. You know, I, I check in every once in a while with the Star Trek universe. But, but you guys have a knowledge that boldly goes well beyond wherever I have dared to tread. So why don't you tell the folks listening now if they are interested in getting more of the Trekology experience where they can find the show and find you online? Yes, well, we are on wherever you get your podcasts. We are Trekology. You can check us out on Twitter. We are Trek underscore ology. If you just go to Trekology, it's like a apparel company, so don't go there. But underscore ology is us. You can get updated, get show notes, things like that as well. All right, and hey, until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded and live long and prosper. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.